welcome to Mind Over COVID-19 podcast. This podcast is dedicated to educating people about mental health during COVID-19, but this information is applicable at any stage during your life. Since, since the podcast is focused on mental health, I thought it was only fitting for the first episode to talk about mental health and set the foundation for all the upcoming episodes. This episode of Mental Health Professionals in COVID-19 will examine how mental health professionals practice has changed since COVID-19 and how it has impacted the services they provide to their clients. This episode will take a deep dive in some of the challenges mental health professionals experience when trying to cope with COVID-19 on a professional and a personal level. This episode will look into the lives of three mental health professionals with varying types of expertise and experience. While completing my research, I noticed a gap as it relates to how COVID-19 has an impact on professionally trained therapists. This podcast will be used to start closing the gap in the research. So here's a little bit of background information. What is mental health? Of course, according to the Centers of Disease Control and Prevention, CDC, mental health is our emotional, psychological, and social well-being. It affects how we think, feel, and act. It also helps to determine how we handle stress, relate to others, and make healthy choices. According to the National Institute of Mental Health website, nearly one in five adults in the United States are living with mental health. In 2017, that was roughly 46.6 million people. Mental illnesses include many different conditions that vary in degree of severity, ranging from mild to moderate to severe. Regardless of the severity, access to mental health care is imperative. In the United States, based on the population and the number of mental health professionals available, there is a shortage. According to the Good Therapy website, over 115 million people in the United States live in a designated mental health professional shortage area. Among these, these, this shortage, there are 30 psychologists per 100,000 people and 15.6 psychiatrists per 100,000 people. Keeping these statistics in mind, as you know, the need for mental health services has increased since COVID-19. As I stated in the introductory overview, on average, 30% of the population has experienced anxiety and depressive disorders since the, this pandemic began. In addition to these shortages, there are other factors that make it difficult for mental health professionals to effect, effectively serve their clients. According to Dr. Jeffrey Reed, member of the Columbia faculty in the Department of Psychiatry and the New York State Psychiatric Institute, was a co-author of an article entitled COVID-19 and the Need for Action on Mental Health. This article outlines some of the factors that can cause a significant impact on the mental health professional's practice, more significantly the clients because of this pandemic. Some of these factors include massive premature discharge of psychiatric patients, prohibiting family visits, cancellation of visits, restricted transfer of patients between hospitals, reduction of out-of-patient follow-ups, lack of routine mental health care, 
telehealth versus face-to-face visits with patients. As it relates to mental health professionals, there are several factors on a personal level from the mental health professionals that impact the services that they traditionally provide to their clients. My research has revealed that there is a lack of information on how this pandemic affects mental health professionals on a personal level. But this podcast will begin to uncover some of those factors. So let's go ahead and meet and start to discuss some of these um, factors and issues with three mental health professionals. Can you please describe what type of mental health professional you are and what services do you provide? Lonnie, would you like to go first? Sure. Um, Hello, everyone. Um, I provide services in a few different ways. I am a certified transformational life coach. And through my coaching, I provide services to individuals, families, couples. Um, I provide services through workshops, um, whether it's school-aged children through schools or just workshops that I'm doing with my business partner and assisting to betterment of each individual. So most of the services that um, I work with is helping individuals coming alongside of them to reach their, to set some goals, reach their goals, and just deal with everyday issues in life, whether it's something that is from depression to anxiety, to any type of breakdown, to just wanting to just make some changes and they don't know where to start. I'm also, in the process of gaining my license in marriage and family therapy. So I've worked with clients in that capacity as well in therapy, which is a little bit deeper than coaching. And I have assisted families, moms, kids in, in providing mental health um, services for children and individuals. Thank you. Next. Who would um, like to go next? This is LaFrenda. I'll go next. Um, Hi, everybody. I am a licensed professional counselor here in the state of Georgia. Um, I'm also EMDR trained, which is a therapeutic modality used to help clients uh, rewire their brains uh, following trauma. It could be um, childhood trauma. It could be long-term, single incident, uh, PTSD. Um, Just kind of help, help, EMDR is used to help um, access the neural network and rewire uh, the way the brain process that trauma. I'm also board certified in telemental health um, and I am nationally a nationally certified counselor. Um, I work with families, individuals, and couples. Okay, great. Next. Hello everyone. I am Candace Patterson and I have been a contract mental health clinician for nearly 15 years. Um, I primarily worked in mental health as a mental health assessor where I completed biopsychosocials. And um, while going through um, college for my master's, I was an ST therapist under um, LPC. Um, But today um, I actually provide QA for independent therapists. um, So that's how I keep um, in track with the mental health um, field, as well as just helping with servicing families um, that are recommended by the courts, defects, and um, also the educational systems. 
Um, I have been trained to do cognitive behavior therapy, and currently um, I practice as a certified cognitive behavior life coach, and I'm also certified, I'm a certified clinician um, trauma specialist by the Arizona Trauma Institute. So I help individuals to overcome mental and emotional barriers that hinder them from living a fulfilled life. Um, I provide individual and group coaching as well as workshops and motivational speaking. Okay, thank you very much, Candace. Okay, so my next question is, um, as I conducted my research, essential healthcare workers are mostly considered people who work in a clinical setting, such as, um, such as nurses and doctors. It seems that mental health professionals are not considered in the category of essential workers. Do you agree, and how does this impact your profession? I'll go. Um, I disagree with that. And the reason um, being is that in my arena, mental health workers have been identified as essential workers because it's a clinical field. Um, you have Peachford, you have Grady, they have um, psychiatric units, um, they have clinics that individuals have to go into. Um, so mental health cannot stop because these individuals need their nursing assessments um, and we're critical to their medications. Um, mental health agencies, we have partnerships with the individuals that I spoke of previously, the courts, defects in the school systems. So that burden of emotional and mental stability um, is on the treatment team, even with COVID going on. So um, while not widely recognized as essential workers, um, this job has not stopped and it can't stop. Um, we're just like the doctors and the nurses, the social workers, et cetera. We're still on the front lines. And this is what Trenda and I absolutely 100% agree with that, that we are essential. Even if um, we are not recognized as such um, in other areas, we know that we are. And I think it's important for us to see ourselves as essential um, so that we can recognize the, the impact that we can have on people during this time and how serious it is. And I agree with um, the ladies as well and how here it says, how does this impact your profession? Um, in the realm of knowing what the patients need against what they're actually able to get since COVID has taken place and the challenge of a lot of um, community-based mental health agencies having to go to the telehealth and having to be trained in telehealth to understand the confidentiality that may take place. So in that realm, I believe that that's the, that could be a great impact because no one was prepared for this, mm -hmm. but given that most essential workers as doctors and nurses, they have already been trained in the telehealth and they already have been able to do those appointments, you know, that way with, with their patients versus mental health, um, clients have not been able to, um, in the beginning, reach out to their therapist or their counselor because of the confidentiality, because there was no training in some aspects of to be able to do telehealth with your clients because of the confidentiality. So that could be a great effect on the mental health clinicians as essential workers. And um, Lonnie, that brings me to my next question, because as I stated earlier, there was some research done, and that was one of the um, 
in one of the articles that I read, that was one of the big impacts on um, um, treating clients, um, mental health clients. So, um, so um, just like you were saying now, mental health professionals are relying on telehealth to conduct services. And that has proven to be a disservice to some with severe mental health disorders. So how has cha things changed since COVID on how to provide services to your client? Mental, um, telehealth, what are some other challenges that you have to overcome because of COVID in order to continue to provide quality care to your clients? Um, this is Latrenda. I can speak on that. Um, one of the, 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 I guess it was the most heartbreaking things for me is I had um, a referral for a young man who had um, a severe uh, brain disorder. I can't remember the name of it. And I'm sorry, I can't call it right now, but um, um, the referral asked for EMDR. And EMDR, um, you know, can be challenging to do over telemental health. It can be done. Um, but for someone with severe, uh, severe brain uh, development disorder, I just did not feel like I would be doing him a, a service um, by doing that with him. And so I had to pass on that referral and that really did. It broke my heart because I, I, I trust EMDR and I know that it does work, um, but I felt like having to use telemental health was a barrier to that. And what's EMDR? I'm sorry, EMDR is, it stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing. And as I said, it's a way for you to help a client um, kind of um, reprocess past trauma so that it doesn't have the same effect that it had on them previously. Um, there are things that are going to trigger you um, from traumatic experiences, you know, for the rest of your life. And right now, before your brain is reprocessed, when you get that trigger, your brain doesn't know the difference between mm -hmm. something happening to you in the past or something happening to you right now. So when you get triggered, you're immediately emotionally flooded with all of the same emotions that you mm -hmm. felt when you went through that. And for you, it feels very real, like it's happening right now. Well, EMDR helps you reprocess that so that when triggers do come up, you, you no longer feel like you're in that same moment again. You can, you can process it differently. Um, we uh, use guided imagery to help you manage emotions in the moment so that you're not re-traumatized by these things. And it is a process. You know, it's not just a one-time time thing, but it just helps reprocess trauma. Okay. And okay. Charlene, I can add to that too, um, as far as one of the challenges also is that when you're over the phone, um, I guess just like if you do telehealth, when you have a wound, you can tell the doctor what the, um, you can try to describe what the wound looks like and you can minimize how bad it is. Um, but if the doctor was to actually see the wound, they can say, you know, like, oh no, we need stitches. We need to do this. We need to do that. Well, that is also a challenge when you do mental health or even, co you know, mental health coaching, um, therapy or coaching over a phone, because there are some things I'm very huge on nonverbal cues. Um, I can pick up some things from your voice inflections, but your body language and your eye movement and those things can tell me a different story. So um, it's very challenging, especially when you have referrals that come in from maybe the court or defects. And so when you're not in a room with a parent and a child and you're over the phone, 
um, there may be some interaction or whispering or some things that are going on to where the story or um, just to get this woman off the phone, just to get it documented that we did participate versus if I was in the room, I actually would be able to say when they're saying everything is good, I can tell by a child's um, body language that he may be saying that it's good because a parent in the, is in the room or I can tell um, by body language that you all are saying things are good, but I, you know, sometimes I can be in a room and I can say, okay, I know you're saying things are good, but what really happened? Just off of being able to see them and to see their interaction and see body language and um, nonverbal cues. And so that's one of the things that, um, you know, that it takes away from the experience of giving like quality service. You do the best you can over the phone, but it's that face to face um, really allows you to um, see a bigger picture. So our picture is limited, I guess I can say. And we have to trust our trust that our clients are being transparent. Okay. And Charlene, what, where you speak about um, how do we propose we begin to close the gap to let them know that we are essential workers and our mental health is important. Um, there, this kind of, and not going to lead into some of your other questions, but understanding that mental health is real, um, removing the stigma of mental health is just that you're crazy, that you're um, something is is wrong with you, and you need to be put, whether on the small school bus or put in a different school or or categorized as as a person that is just weird or those stigmas are so strong in um, our nation that it's not, we're not made aware of the umbrella of the different diagnoses that fall under mental health. So understanding that something as serious as depression does fall under the umbrella of mental illness, but we don't take it seriously enough to realize that individuals do need help in those areas and individuals don't want to be diagnosed as a person with mental health. So being able to close the gap with a lot, with the way we are as mental clinicians is to remove that stigma of what it really means to be a mental health patient, what it means really means to have mental health um, diagnosis. It's such a broad range when it comes to mental health that in order to close that gap, we as a, a country have to understand that it is real, but it doesn't, it doesn't mean that you're from point A to point Z. There's so much in between that needs to be understood about mental illness. And with that, we can begin to close the gap and get more individuals on the, um, not so much bandwagon, but un under the understanding that what it entails is actually plagued by more than they think it is. That's a very good point. And, and, and that's what I, I found when I was doing my research is that there is a gap on the mental health. Um, people are recognizing that our mental health is affected during COVID-19, but there's still a lot of gaps in the research on mental health and COVID-19. And we understand that COVID is new and we're still trying to learn a lot about it. But just at a surface level, we know that there's an, a tremendous impact on the mental health. So, um, so I appreciate you bringing that up, Lonnie, about the um, gaps that you're finding within 
I mean, one of the gaps is the stigma that's still attached to mm-hmm. um, to mental health. But what I am finding is that people are being a little bit more transparent because of COVID. And, mm-hmm. he, and I think because there are, you know, there's comfort in numbers. So when you see someone else on social media or you talk to your friend and you see that they're going through, you're more likely to talk about it and you're more likely to seek help and you're more like, you know, so I think that um, one positive thing I can say about COVID-19 is that it is forcing us to talk more about mental health and, um, and people are recognizing that they're not okay. And it's okay to talk to somebody, whether it's a friend or mental health professional. Um, just to tell you that I was actually talking to my therapist and life coach, and we, you know, were in discussion about. Um, she said everyone has a mental health issue right now, and like Lonnie was saying, it's a difference between mental health and mental illness, and people automatically just go to mental illness. But we're all having mental health issues right now, she said. And if somebody says that they're not, they're lying. <laughs> And I had to absolutely agree because mental health, that means that includes preventive. Like when we do, you know, when we're doing things to protect our health, we're trying to make sure we don't get ill. So we're trying to do things with our mental health to make sure that we don't become mentally ill. So with that being said, we're all anxious. We all have a little worry. We have Mm -hmm. no clue what's going to happen with school. We don't have a clue what's going to happen with our job. We don't have a clue what's going to happen with the election. If we sit down and think about it, we all have a bit of uncertainty. Now, it may not paralyze us or it may not affect our day-to-day living. However, it is there and it is creating a disease. So which means Mm -hmm. that that's your mental health. Um, Mm -hmm. we long to be with our friends. You know, I don't want to see, I go see, you know, may do a social distance, but you want to hug your friend. We are human beings that we human touch. (laughs) That is part of our genetic makeup. You know, that is something that is, that's built in us that we need. And so we're going without hugs for months. We had to go months without seeing anybody. A little bit of depression set in, whether anybody want to admit it or not. So those are the things when um, I saw what you were saying, scholarly research, that's because it took this pandemic, like you said, for them to recognize it. Even the scholars had some mental health issues. They were depressed (laughs) and they had anxiety. And so they're even going to have to find out, wow, what happened to me? So um, I think that, like you said, that is one of the good things that come out of it. And the biggest thing is that um, we all realize that we are not alone. And because we're not alone, we need to talk about it, um, which I thank you for doing this, um, because we all are not okay. We are surviving mm-hmm. and we're dealing with it. We may have better coping skills than some others, but we're not okay. Um, and one thing they can't deny, they may not research it, but they cannot deny the mental health has, um, has not become essential to the essential workers and everyone else. Exactly. Can I can I add something to that? Um, I love I love that you mentioned your therapist and your coach. Um, yes, I think that a lot of people <laughs> believe that therapists don't need therapists. Well, I have a therapist and I have an executive coach, mm-hmm. and I need these individuals in my life. Um, mm-hmm. And and you're right. We all are having uh, mental health struggles right now. Um, we never could have predicted this, even when this first came out came on the scene. We never could have predicted that, A, it was going to last this long, you know, that we were going to have all of these um, holes in our leadership that, that in, um, contribute to the uncertainty. 
for me personally, I had never experienced anxiety in my entire life until COVID. I have a husband who is a cancer patient. My mother's a cancer patient. And I just started being paralyzed and crippled with fear about what could possibly happen to them, not sleeping at night. And, and of course, because I'm a mental health professional, I recognize, okay, this is anxiety. This is exactly what people are describing to me. This is exactly what I've done in my research. And I knew the tools that I needed to do to help get over it. But I also needed to reach out to my own therapist. I needed help to get through this. And so I think mm -hmm. it's important that you mention that because I think a lot of people are surprised to know that therapists have therapists, but, but we need help too. Yes. Yeah, and, and, and Charlene, really quickly, I want to add to that because what you talked about the background information of what mental health is, and I'm looking back and it says emotional, psychological, social well-being. Um, what we think, it affects what we think, feel, and act. And it says, mm -hmm. um, determines how we handle stress, relate to others, and make healthy choices. And like the ladies just mentioned in both of their talks is that, um, I think Candace mentioned, we feel, we think, we want to touch, we are used to being social. Even if you are an introvert, it, mm -hmm. sometimes I believe that it is easier for an introvert to handle COVID because they're used to being by themselves. They're used to being home alone, or they don't do the social interaction, but in just like Latrinda said, even having family members that are dealing with health issues and your emotional state of caring for them or worrying about them just is heightened. And yeah. like, it, it, and I go back to what Candace said, is everyone, in, this has affected everyone in different ways, but, and we, we have to realize that just because I handle stress one way doesn't mean that the next person will handle it the same way. And mm -hmm. being, being also an yeah. educator yeah. and seeing co-workers some that just are ready to die back in because they don't want to be home because they they are social they are extrovert and they got to get out of the house so they're ready for their kids to come back they rather teach in the classroom versus um digitally or virtually then you have the others that are panicking freaking out making it to the point where they're almost making themselves sick because of their anxiety and their stress level. So there, there has to be some type of balance, but learning what you're feeling by spe speaking to your own therapist, speaking to your own life coach, running things by them, say, hey, I need a coach. I need a, a moment because as mental health therapists, as clinicians, as coaches, we take on so much of our clients that even though we all, and I can speak for the ladies, I'm sure we love what we do, we still are taking in everything from the client, yeah. but we're also taking in everything else in our own lives. If COVID wasn't here, it would be a little bit, of course, way less stress because we can get out, we can explore, we can you know, breathe and go to the beach or whatever you like to do. But now that we can't do that, we're just stuck behind a screen and we're talking and we're helping our clients or our patients but then in turn we have to take care of our mental state and, and it's affecting everyone it's affecting all of us and I want to add kind of add to what you said Lonnie um, about um, I notice even though I don't work in the mental health arena I do work in public health but I notice when we have meetings we have to set aside and we and this isn't we don't um strategically do this but the first five minutes people are just venting 
you know, mm-hmm. people are just um, talking about how they're not okay. And you never hear that in the office place unless you're close with a, a, a coworker. But um, you don't hear people just be open about I'm not okay, you know. And um, and then I see the other side where people just seem like they're not even affected. We started meeting and they're like, boom, 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 boom. And they don't stop a beat. But I've noticed more that people are more transparent. And also one thing that um, I learned with COVID is, is that people are learning that it is okay to take time for yourself. Mm-hmm. And that is the message that we're, we're not so structured and we're not so rigid in our life right now. And um, Latrenda, you were talking about, uh, before we started the call, you were talking about my dog might bark. Let the dog bark. (laughs) The dog, you know, we, how many meetings have we done with dogs barking, kids talking? Mm -hmm. I had had one meeting where the the husband was fussing at the child in the background. (laughs) And we Relate. We can all relate because right. we all in the background snapping our children on mute and you know, you know. So I think that one positive thing about COVID back to mental health is that people are like, it's okay. Life happens and it's okay. We don't have to be so rigid. We don't have to be so stressed about everything being perfect. It's okay. You know? Good and one other thing that I wanted to mention was um, I went to the doctor earlier th- last week. And the first thing that the nurse, you know, when you come in and they ask after they do your vitals. And the first thing she asked me, well, the doctor, this was the doctor. And the first thing she asked me when she came in, she said, are you OK? Are these times stressing you out? And I said, hell, excuse me. I said, yes, it's stressing <laughs> You know, and she said, yes, everybody that comes through this office is affected mentally by COVID. But I thought it was good that they um, that that was the the way you start off the 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 doctor's visit. And And my doctor's visit was medical, but it all works together. So. Well, because your stress even going to the doctor's office, honestly and truly. Oh mm-hmm. my goodness. Yes. Yeah, so you know exposure. that that's a good way to open it up because a lot of people are avoiding even getting simple exams done or they're suffering through pain because they're uh-huh. afraid to walk into a doctor's office. So I think that's wonderful that they even ask about your mental health first because honestly and truly sitting there with them is stressful. Mm-hmm. Because of COVID, <laughs> you know, even though you're there for something else. So exactly. So I want to move to um, the shortage of mental health professionals in your field. Do you feel that there is a shortage? And one, how does that impact it? And how can we get more people into the mental health profession? And where do you see the shortage? In just in your field, in in what aspect of the mental health arena? Where do you see the biggest shortage? Can I be honest? I'll go yeah. first. 
I don't see one. I actually, um, and maybe it's Metro Atlanta, but I think that um, we are saturated. Um, okay. Um, because, you know, we have a lot of LPCs. Uh, you can practice and be a LAPC. You can be practice and be a LMSW. Um, you can be a L. Um, CSW and, you know, you can have certifications. So I think the mental health clinicians are there and the professionals are there. What is impacting the field is the reimbursement and the insurance and the availability, affordability. Um, mm. I think that that's, for me, that's what I see. Um, I know tons of individuals who contract or have private practice, um, and I remember um, one of the challenges is, and I guess I'll just kind of skip into the end, but one of the challenges is if you're in private practice, you have to apply to be on um, an insurance panel. Okay. Well, they're not taking any more, you know, individuals to, um, you know, to accept that insurance, then as a provider, you can't provide services. So I don't think that is that we don't have the individuals. I think that the insurance and like I said, the affordability of being able to take advantage of the services is probably the um, shortfall. And that's what we're finding. I know here with COVID because people are stressed out. So if I have insurance that covers mental health, they're giving me four sessions. Yep. Trust and believe. I need more than four sessions. And so then that means I have to come out my pocket. Well, the average professional that's licensed, you're talking about in the hundreds for an hour. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how many people, I mean, all of us are affected. This um, COVID does not say what's your socioeconomic, you know, uh, what's your demographic? It's affected all of us, but we simply cannot, that's not an expense. We're talking about paying rent and eating and paying mortgages. So mental health is something that people are letting skate by because they simply cannot afford. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I'm not sure, I'm not sure where Latrinda is as far as private practice or not. And I know she can speak on that, but when you say where is the shortage, and I agree with Candace that I believe that they're out there. I just believe that the revenue of the income is not coming in. Therefore, a lot of mental health clinicians have to work a second job, or this is this is uh, um, they they love what they do, but it's not bringing enough in to to feed the family or pay their bills because maybe they don't accept every single insurance or they're working under someone. So therefore, they're getting cut with their pay based off of their supervisor or the company that they work for. Um, in addition to that, speaking a little bit on in the education system, the, it's, it's lacking there, I would say, not that they're not available, not that there's mental health um, professionals that are not available for schools, but it goes kind of towards the, it, it get, we'll get to that, but it goes back to the money. It goes back to, you have school counselors maybe one or per school or two in the size of the school, but there needs to be some mental health professionals that are, whether they're partnered, that are in the schools way more than they're in the schools because the school counselors, although they, are, they can be equipped to help students in that area, they don't give them the time or the know-how to do it. So you have to have those school counselors that think outside the box somehow, some way, to be able to help the, and identify those students that need it. We're not touching on these students in the school system. Therefore, 
if there is something that is going on with your child and you're taking them somewhere and there is a referral, that is that percentage is very, very low. And most of the time, like Candace said, they can't afford to pay out of pocket and their insurance, mm-hmm. they don't take their insurance. So therefore you the mental the mental illness just continues to grow in each individual. So by the time they get older, now we're seeing all this stuff come out like, oh, well, he had some mental issues. We had, he had a mental illness. Well, we could have stopped that at the lower age if we put more mental health clinicians and pay them to help these students and these individuals at a younger age. I agree. I agree. Would anybody else like to add anything before I ask my final question? Okay, so if you could be president for a day, and I would vote for all of y'all right now. (laughs) (laughs) President for a day, what is one change you would make in the mental health field? Well, I think I answered that for me. Um, mm-hmm. President yeah. Candace said that in the last one. I would just make <laughs> sure right. that services were more accessible. Um, we need a better reimbursement, um, a be- better reimbursement um, system from insurances, so that we can increase um, how many times we see uh, um, individual as far and as you know, we can have a more longevity with the clients. Um, Because if I'm dealing with somebody with post-traumatic stress disorder, um, even if I'm just doing a community support individual or um, just think of a therapist, you're you're digging to the root of where this came from. And sometimes it it takes four sessions to even get a report to where they want to open up, you know? So, and then you're telling me I'm out of units. So I have to wait until a new authorization. Well, depends on how long that takes. A lot of time that puts us back right at square one with a client because there was a break in services. And so, um, and then um, it's really not enough time to get anything accomplished. So just taking it seriously enough to where they give enough units and authorizations to where real change can occur. Right now, life coaching, which I think if you have a therapist and a coach, I think they go hand in hand. Um, Coaching is not a billable services. Some employment assistant programs will give you um, coaching for about four um, sessions. But other than that, people are having to pay out of pocket. Once again, life coaching is not cheap, just like therapy is not cheap. Um, So um, and then I would definitely more grant funding. Because I would love to go into the um, underserved areas where they don't even know what a life coach is. They don't know what coaching is and they're scared of therapy. Um, Let me go in on a grant or let us go in on a grant and to educate and to coach and to put people on track to a better, more successful life, personally, emotionally, mentally, physically, all of that. Um, So if I was president, just make sure that you vote on November. I'm just playing. (laughs) (laughs) That is my health plan, you know, but yes, Mm -hmm. that's what I would love to see happen from my end. And And to agree agree with um, Candace, um, I I guess I'll be her VP, but uh, (laughs) (laughs) and to agree with that, it, it goes back to, to, in my opinion, the funding, the money. Because everything we do in this nation, 
we always find money to do it. But when it comes to mental health, I feel like they don't find money to do it. And the one thing that I, that came to my mind is, and I guess coming from education always is making, having some type of mandatory um, training for not just education, for, for businesses um, to understand what mental health is, mm-hmm. what mental illnesses are. So you can identify, not that you want to go around diagnosing people, but if you have an understanding of mental, what mental, just mental illnesses overall, and then how it deals with your mental health as a boss or a coworker or a parent, these trainings will help you get a better view of what you're, what you're dealing with. Um, as a leader, what you're dealing with as a staff member, what you're dealing with as a um, as a life coach, what you're dealing with, because you 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 start pinpointing different ways to look at your client or to look at your student, to look at your colleague. So mandatory trainings just bring in awareness, awareness to what it is, because it has. Mm-hmm. To, I go back to having such a stigma um, when it comes to this topic. But understanding that it is real and even more so with COVID, it like you like Charlene, like you said, it's coming out. So this is the perfect time that people are starting to accept it and and talk about it more, especially in the African American culture, that it's okay to go to therapy or it's okay that you're not okay. And having that awareness, but allocating funds to the proper channels so it you don't have to jump through hoops to get the help that you need. You don't have to jump through hoops to say, oh, well, we can't bring you, like for Kansas, oh no, we can't bring you into the school system to talk to these students because our budget, because our budget, our priorities are flipped upside down. And I believe that it still goes back to how we wanna spend money in this country and it's available. It's just about allocating to the right areas. Okay. I agree. I agree with both ladies. I don't want to sound like a broken record, um, but especially as it relates to the Black community, I know Taraji P. Henson um, has been uh, doing a lot to try to advocate for mental health services for people of color, and I I applaud her. Um, If I was president, I would definitely, um, you know, put my support and my my budget behind her, Um, would definitely be trying to reach out to those in the Black community to help you know, kind of destigmatize therapy. Um, I love it that I've noticed that, like, um, I'm, I'm a Grey's Anatomy fan still. And on this last mm-hmm. season of Grey's Anatomy, they incorporate a lot of therapy into that. I even saw a session of an uh, episode where they had EMDR. Um, mm. um, yeah, it was on there this, this past season. And I was just really excited to see that because these are uh, doctors that are receiving this therapy. And so it kind of helps normalize, you know, going through issues even though we all do anyway I think it's just it's a lot of people feel like it's safer to kind of sit in the corner and pretend like everything is okay and so mm-hmm. I love that that you know it's becoming more in the forefront there have been a lot of celebrities that have come out and said uh, Michelle Obama recently came out and said that she has been struggling with depression mm-hmm. I love all of that because it helps normalize that mm-hmm. well as therapists, I know that y'all are always optimistic. And so are you optimistic that we're going to start closing the gaps and mental health is going to be, um, be uh, well, just 
discussed more at the dinner table or discussed at the family reunions now instead of, you know, not talking about it? Or do you do you feel like mental health is starting to come into the forefront of health care? I do. Um, I, I, I do. It's, it's, you know, we have a long ways to go, but I do believe that the talk is more. Um, I will say, I'm not sure of all the ages of the ladies. Well, I know Candace's age and your age, Charlene, but I believe that this next generation that is coming up, the, the 20 somethings to the 30 somethings, they are um, not that it's trendy, but they're talking about it more. So I believe that that's always say that's the bold generation that is not afraid to speak out and, and bring awareness or just speak their mind, period. So I believe that the talk is more, but I also believe that um, it, it's, it's more comfortable. I believe it's mm-hmm. more comfortable to talk about it and not to di- try to diagnose someone or say, I see this, I see that in them, but to know that it's real. And even um, older people I speak with now, you know, I say my parents' age, 70s and 80s, that, you know, in their time, you just, I think me and Charlene talked about this. Oh, they just tell you, oh, just pray about it. Just pray about it. Um, or, or, Or go to church. God will fix it. But even believing if you're a believer in who God is, yes, he can fix it. But there's also the wisdom that you use to put the medical side behind it when it comes to your health. And that's been something that's always been buried or just put down and no one has ever talked. So then once you get, once my generation gets in their forties and fifties, we're looking back like, what is wrong with me? Oh my gosh, like I got this, this and this, or I'm feeling this way because for so long it was suppressed because you weren't supposed to talk about it. Are you weren't mm-hmm. supposed to di- to even think that way? Um, even you weren't supposed to, you should be fine. Why, why aren't you fine? Everything's fine. Your childhood was fine or you have this, you got, you have food on the table, but that's the part where that, that the outlook and the stigma has to be broken because now we're seeing so much more and people are talking about it. So I do believe at the kitchen table or in conversations, it is becoming more aware and and being at the forefront of some of the um, issues that go on in the world. And I also think that we can and probably are doing a lot to change that. I know um, with my children, my daughter is 20 and my son is 13. I say, how are you feeling? how you feel about that well let's talk about that you know are you okay and I I dig into the emotions I teach them that anger is not a primary emotion you know so that we can get (laughs) to what what they're really feeling right now okay so you might be embarrassed or you might be hurt or whatever but this anger that you're showing this is not what you're really feeling let's talk about that making sure that I create a safe space in my home for them to express those emotions so I think that we because we now know better we're doing better our parents didn't know these things there was a lot of um, of generational trauma handed down from slavery that you just suck it up and you do what you got to do because you could not show any emotion on the plantation. And so it was handed down from generation to generation that you just, you don't talk about how you feel, you know, that you just have to keep fighting and push through and that strong black woman mantra, which I hate, um, I think that's where that came from. But I think we're doing things differently now. And so I think that we are doing a lot to, to help break that stigma. Ooh, Latrinda, you speaking, girl. <laughs> you said that's a whole new podcast. Oh, it my is, goodness. isn't it? Isn't yeah, it? that's it my is. strongest moment. 
And um, I just I think that Lonnie and Latrenda hit it on the head. Um, with Latrenda, I think that she said something earlier, and that even though she's been a clinician, a practitioner, guess what? She was talking to these people about uh, mental health. She's been in school about mental health. She's extensively studied mental health, but she had not felt anxiety before. Or she had not dealt with this before. I think that now we're going to see a shift also from the workplace which is where we spend most of our time, guess what? Those in charge that were not as empathetic, they have experienced it now and likely it has ran through their families. So now they're having to be more empathetic to what's going on with their um, employees' lives. I think we're going to see more things that are more wellness-centered, more um, more coach, you know, the coaching aspect, the more staff development I think because they're realizing now that having a healthy, um, mentally, um, your employees being healthy emotionally and mentally is important to the production, which is their bottom line. So I think that now, even in the workplace, that it's going to be a conversation and it's going to be actually an area that gets more attention than it has in the past. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I agree. And I want to add one thing to what Lonnie said about the, uh, no, I don't know if it was Lonnie or Latrenda, but you were talking about the younger generation. Mm-hmm. And and you are absolutely right, because my daughter, she's a freshman at Georgia Gwinnett College. Of course, she's majoring in psychology, so she researches this information. Um, but she's using terms that I've never heard of before. You know, she's using terms about things that she experienced and she's using terms. Yesterday, we she schooled me on this song that Nicki Minaj had mm-hmm. and um, who is it? Megan Thee Stallion. Mm-hmm. And she was just talking about how that just affects the female mental health. When yeah. they hear those songs on the radio and and and, and she, the terms that she was just using when she was just educating me about the the, the different contacts um, that our children interface with that affects their mental health. The television, the social media, the music, and she, she's really into like women empowerment and you know, looking out for women's mental health. She care about the men too, but she's really interested in the men, I mean the women and how we build friendships and how we support each other. And so, like you said, the younger generation is aware and a lot of her information is on YouTube. And I told her, when you look at YouTube, you need to look at the resources too. Cause you know, right. (laughs) It's not facts, but it gets her to start thinking and look deeper. And so, um, so social media can be a good thing to introduce people to different things related to mental health. Right. So um, so that's all that I have for today. If you have any burning last minute thoughts, comments, questions, um, please let me know and we can um, go ahead and let it all out now. Mm-hmm. Charlene, I just wanted to add to what you said about this generation, but not just, not just them, um, but with the media. The media mm-hmm. plays such a big part with our mental health state from mm-hmm. from television, from the from the news, from just 
your Google feed or your Instagram feed or your Facebook feed or whatever it may be. And I took a step back for probably going on 22, 23 days now from social media. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's amazing how I thought I was going to miss it, but Mm -hmm. I didn't miss it, but it, it got to the point where it was so distracting um, and some things were great. Don't get me wrong, but it, it was so too much stimulation in my mind of mm-hmm. what, what's going on in the world, what's going on with so-and-so, what's going on with so-and-so or what someone's doing. The next thing you know, you take that and you look it up online. You're like, wait, what's going on with them? Then you go to Google and you have <laughs> taken to hours to of your time. And not to say that you didn't learn something, but the stimulation that was behind that. And now for me, then the anxiety kicks in because now I'm late, late doing something or I didn't do this or now my mind is working like, oh my gosh, should I have done this? And, you know, then the, it just goes on and on and uh, the movie begins to play in your, in your mind. But, mm-hmm. you know, knowing that you have to take a step back, knowing that that's a part of your self-care, um, whatever it may be, but not watching the news, the election, everything that's going on, nothing that they're saying right now has changed. It's right. the same right. thing over and over again. And it's amazing how we as, our, as a country get so caught up with stuff that before you know it, it's like, it, it is in your, what did a pastor say? It's on your feed. So he said, of course it's on your feed. It's feeding you. So it mm-hmm. is feeding you. And is it feeding you positively or is it feeding you negatively? And it's just amazing just to think about that. So the media, the whole segment under the umbrella of media, I believe is, is catapulting a lot of us into that mental health state where it's not healthy. And um, I don't have the statistics, but I remember pastors saying that the suicide rates had gone down, not during, not since COVID, suicide rates had gone down, but doctors are seeing more patients for anxiety and depression, especially in the mm-hmm. younger generation, because they don't mm-hmm. know how to handle, it's too much, too much, um, as Candace says, too much stimuli coming mm-hmm. into their, their psyche where they don't know what to do, which eventually could lead to suicide. But, you know, so the whole media thing is, is tough, um, but, you know, it's, it's plaguing us right now. It really is. And Lonnie, I can agree with you on that because as it relates to COVID-19, and I think tonight I might just take Facebook off my phone for a, a couple of days. I need a, a cleanse. But mm-hmm. mine, I'm looking at, I'll go to Facebook and I spend all my time judging people. And that's not good mm. because I'm like, oh my God, look at, look, they out with no mask on. That's the first thing I look at. When I look at pictures, I'm like, oh my God, they at a birthday party. Oh my God. You know, and, <laughs> I, I literally do today and I have called some people and I have inboxed some people and I said, Charlene, get a grip. And so, right. um, so for me, I need to take a step back from um, social media just for that because I find I I will spend my time on there talking about this person ain't had no mask. Oh, look how close they standing! Somebody posted a picture of their church service outside. It was just a praise team, and I'm like, they not six feet apart. I couldn't even hear nothing they were saying. You know, <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna want you to pull back, pull back, pull back. <laughs> so, yes, it has impacted me, and then you know, 
And mama said, you don't have to call these people, Charlene. I said, I know, I know. So anyway. Yeah, so that I'm just increases you. your, that increases your uh, anxiety. <laughs> but um, oh, but us being mental health clinicians, I, I would love for us just to, you know, um, leave something positive for your listeners, like on how to cope um, with yes. COVID, yes. if you don't mind. Yes, Candice, that that was one of my closing things, and that was one of the purposes that we wanted to we wanted you to educate the listeners. And thank you for reminding me about that. Um, educating the listeners listeners on some tips of things that they can do for self care during this COVID, after COVID, um, we still gonna have anxiety and depression. Mm-hmm. What can they do in their everyday life? Something that's not so taxing. Little things that they can do to um, to protect or improve their mental health. Okay. Well, for, I, I just want to say, look, with Lonnie, um, I'm coming off of, I did a 21 day sabbatical um, where I minimized clients. Um, I did not have any social media intake, um, minimal news, just enough for me to um, know, look, do I need to pack a bag? Do I need, there's a hurricane coming? Just, you know, just the minimal or whatever. But it was to minimize the stimuli that I take in because you have to know what you're feeding yourself. What you feed is going to grow. So if you feed fear, if you fear anxiety, I mean, if you feed anxiety, fear, depression, that is what's going to grow. So with that being said, the number one thing that I have learned during COVID is that when I open my eyes every morning, start your day with gratitude. If you start, if the first thing that you do is to be thankful for something, anything, even if it's just opening your eyes, that will set the tone. Not that you might not be challenged, but you can always go back to first thing this morning. What did I do? I gave gratitude, not listen to the news because my TV was on because I slept with it on all night. And first thing I heard was, you know, the election or whatever. But start with gratitude. And if you have to take in um, information, um, I told one individual, she was like, I'm so tired of hearing about all the people that died. I said, well, why don't you focus on all the people that live? Absolutely. You know, um, so how many people that have it? Look at how many people who don't have it. I said um, not to ignore it because I'm look. I'm like you, Charlene. I don't. I don't go out. I'm. I'm. I'm still probably at phase one, <laughs> and everybody else is at five. But, um, but at the same time, I try to counter every negative with a positive, so that my spirit does not get depressed. Mm-hmm. by what is going on around me. I can't control mm-hmm. the circumstances, but guess what? We can control how we respond. And so um, my thing is increase your meditation. Um, whatever your spiritual life is, now is the time for you to get stronger in it. And um, just take a time, gratitude, meditation, and drawing closer to whatever your spiritual source is. Those are my beginning coping skills. Um for you and to talk to somebody, get a coach or a therapist during this time if you can. Yeah, that's that's pretty much the same thing. I would have to agree with Candace. Um, one of the things I was thinking that first came to my mind is to talk to somebody. Um, talk to someone, uh, find find you a circle, create you a circle of people that will listen and understand how you're feeling. Some people are very judgmental, some people won't take it seriously, but find you, whether it is a coach or a therapist or just some friends, find you a circle that you can just maybe laugh with, talk with, 
um, you know, take you away from what's going on in, in the in the earthly realm to say um, find you th- those people to talk to don't hold it in don't hold anything mm-hmm. in even in life period um, COVID after COVID um, have so you have to have a circle of people to talk to to express yourself and if you don't like Candace said get a coach get a therapist mm-hmm. it's okay and knowing that it's okay to to do that but also um, walk in, walk in the present. Be present mm-hmm. with hope, with the hope and understanding that you're going to be okay. Now we don't know what everything holds, of course, but s- stepping away from those, the news, the media, the social things that you see that is constantly going to make a movie in your head with your panic and anxiety of who's not wearing a mask, who's not doing this, who's not. <laughs> Because mm-hmm. it will plague you, but but using your own wisdom and covering yourself and being having some compassion for those that those that don't do what you're doing for whatever reason, you just know that okay, keep it moving, you know, keep it moving, and just really like Candace said, being grateful, learn to be grateful with what is what good is going on, what's what's great in this world, what's great in your life versus what is bad. Because the negative always tries to prevail over the positive. That's what I say. Um, for me, um, and it's much of the same. Um, for me, my advice is to unplug that boundaries and be intentional. <clears throat> um, uh, when I first started experiencing anxiety, the, the first decision that I made was I can't watch the news anymore. Um, it was very drastic, but that's what I needed to do for me. Um, I was being plagued at night by the images of them putting those body bags in the tra- the trailers that were sitting outside of the refrigerated trucks that were at the hospital. I just could not get out of, get that out of my head. And so the first thing I did was just I unplugged. I have not seen the news. Not embarrassed to say it, I have not seen the news since April. We watched Good, uh, Good Morning America, but we only watched the last hour because that's the silly stuff, you know. That's yeah. The, yeah. So yeah. that's that's all mm-hmm. we watch. Um, I get my news just from, you know, hearing friends talk about what's going on. I did not watch the, uh, the Democratic National Convention. Why? Because I just, I cannot get caught up in a lot of stuff. I know who I'm voting for. I get to hear snippets of, you know, of the, the zingers and the, the good things that were said, and that was fine for me. Um, so I needed to unplug, and it worked for me. Some people can unplug at, you know, 50% or 70%. For me, it was 100%. And, and I, that has been successful for me. Um, in addition to me having anxiety for the first time, when I went to my doctor's appointment for my annual, for the first time in my life, I was borderline high blood pressure. And it was because mm. of stress. Uh, my doctor said, mm. you don't have any other risk factors. You're not overweight. Your diet is not bad. This is stress. And, and here's the thing. Here's the challenge. You have to manage that. Well, I took that seriously. And so I, too, cut back on some clients. I took a week off for the first time since Christmas of last year because, you know, one of the things that people know about me is I go hard for my clients and, you know, I'll work overtime and I'll do whatever I need to do, but that was killing me. And so I had to be very realistic about what I needed for self-care and what that looked like for me. So um, I had to unplug um, and that setting boundaries, that's all under that. And then also being intentional. So I am a very social person. I am the extrovert extrovert and I get my energy from uh, being with friends and hanging out and having a good time so that part of me I felt like was dying a little bit and so I had to be real intentional you know about how can I stay connected with friends we have met in a parking lot 
and and had our you know hatchbacks open and got takeout and ate out of our cars and you know we I have had um, my book club on Fridays we have a happy hour where we do through Zoom and we just have our drinks we eat together and it usually lasts for about three hours sometimes we've gone you know well into midnight just laughing and having a good time we had to be really intentional thinking of ways that we could stay connected because that's something that fueled us and so I would say. Think about what self-care looks like for you. Think about what you need, no matter how crazy it looks to other people. If that's what you need to do, then that's what you need to do. I've also um, become, it drives my husband crazy, um, but this is a part of my self-care, is I have downloaded, I don't know how many games on my phone for the first time ever, and I do crossword puzzles, and I color, and you know, I do all these games on my phone because that helps to relax me. Doing what I do and dealing with trauma every day can, yes. can sometimes be pretty stressful and it is it is hard for you you know those of us who are empaths it is hard sometimes for you to not bring on that that even even you know I've been doing this for nine years in the beginning it was really hard it was really bad and I did learn how to set boundaries with that and how to leave work at work but I, I am an empathic person and so yes yeah, sometimes those things can feel heavy to me so playing games on my phone you know, as silly as it may sound to some people, well, it, it, A, it gives me a sense of accomplishment because, hey, I solved this puzzle or, you know, hey, I finished coloring this picture or whatever. And so I feel like I'm accomplishing something which, you know, re uh, releases those endorphins and I start feeling good. And, you know, and it also helps me to kind of unplug from real life that can be challenging sometimes. So I think it's just important for you to think about what self-care looks like for you and unapologetically, um, just run straight towards that, whatever that is. Great points. And I want to close with my self-care tips. I know I'm not a mental health professional, but I, I can read and write. So <laughs> I do look up some information. And I think, Latrenda, it was you one day that you shared something very at the, at the very beginning of COVID-19. Mm -hmm. You shared something on Facebook. And it was small things that you can do to reduce anxiety um, or stress. Mm -hmm. And I remember one of the things that you said, and this sounds so small, but it helped. Um, one of them was like journaling and, you know, the typical thing is go for a walk. But one of them was to go in the shower and just let the water just run over you. Don't bathe. Just mm -hmm. let the water run over you. And I did that and it helps calm me down sometimes. And um, and the big thing that I did, and ladies, y'all gonna be so proud of me. Know who I, how I am. I took out alcohol completely out of my diet. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> um, it's been a little over a week, and um, but I've taken alcohol completely out of my diet. I don't miss it at all. That's and when awesome. I tell you my anxiety went from a 10 to probably a 3 immediately. Mm -hmm. First day. And so um, and my productivity went from yeah. about a 5 to about a 15. Mm -hmm. And I am energetic. I wake up, my feet hit the floor at 4.35 o'clock in the morning. I start doing laundry. I might watch a movie. I like to watch Martin. I watch Martin for about mm -hmm. two hours. I'm productive. I get up. I go for my walk. 
you know, my daughter has to be to work at 6 a.m. in Decatur, and that's like a 30-minute drive. Okay, let's go. I'm ready sitting with the keys. You know, I'm so productive. And my, just my, I'm not as negative. Now, I still look at them Facebook pictures and I say, <laughs> but this, 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 you're, you're about to disable your app. So that's going to go away too. So that's fine. <laughs> but I'm not, I mean, I'm, I'm not so argumentative. Um, I mean, it's, it's a whole lot of things. I don't get ticked off easily. You know, it's a whole lot of things. And I said, my goal is six months without alcohol because I just love this feeling. Mm-hmm. My mind, I, I noticed that, and I'm being trained. I'm a very trans person, transparent person. I'll go up to somebody in grocery store and tell all my little business. <laughs> <laughs> but I want this podcast to be transparent. Absolutely. But, but one thing about me, when I took the alcohol out, I realized how much of a fog I was living in. I mean, wow. just the things that are so, so much clearer now. You know, and I wouldn't be a, uh, I wouldn't be fall down drunk, but I'd be a little tipsy at the end of the night. I remember things better, you know, and I mean, I, I realized what a fall, it literally felt like I got 2020 vision just taking the alcohol out. And I'm not knocking it because I love my good cocktail. And at six months, I may have a cocktail. Um, but I, I've just never like completely taken it out of my diet. I've gone to like, okay, I'm going to have it on the weekend. And then weekends bleed over to Monday. And then I'd be like, well, hell, it's a, it's a holiday on Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> so those are my self-care. And then I remember when I was drinking and I was just venting about how I was feeling. And people say, go take a walk. I said, don't nobody else tell me to go take a walk. But I went and walking. So how can you downplay something you're not doing? Absolutely. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. When I went out and I took a walk, I said, oh my gosh. I said, I don't have nobody in my ear. I said, sometimes I won't use it. Sometimes I don't. I said, I need to take a walk. So for me, it was taking out alcohol. For me, it was going for a walk. For me, finding my passion and working through it. And so those are my self-care writing down. Sometimes I just pick up my, my journal and I just write like sometimes the, the, the thoughts might not connect, but I just write. So mm-hmm. those are my, um, and, and what gives me life also is checking on my family and my friends. Sometimes, um, my, my family, my friends know I will send random texts. How are you? Or I'll call yes, them. Yes. Are you a call at 11 o'clock? <laughs> yes. <laughs> what a joke. Yes. Oh, oh yes. the joke. Yes, I remember that. But it made me laugh. Charlene, it made me laugh so hard. And see, <laughs> I was drinking and watching TikTok. See, you know. <laughs> and I, I get more silly when I start sipping, but I, my silliness is not going away. You know? Good. So... Um, <laughs> So anyway, so those are my self-care that I'll close with. Um, Unless anybody else has anything else that they want to share. Now, just thank you. Thank you. Thank thank you you so much for doing that. Thank you. And I thank you. And I'm glad this was like uh, 